Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And if thou say in thy heart, How shall we know the word which Jehovah hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of Jehovah, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which Jehovah hath not spoken. The prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 and verse 21 and 22, American Standard Version. And we have the word of prophecy made more sure, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spake from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21 through 21, American Standard Version Hi, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author, founder of Crystal Sea Books, and part-time environmental engineer. He takes out the recyclables at the office. But today, we're going to start a new series on Anchored by Truth to focus on one of the strongest lines of evidence for the Bible's inspiration, fulfilled prophecy. R.D., would you like to give us a little introduction for this series, and maybe tell us what we're going to talk about today? I'd love to. As some of our listeners may remember, Anchored by Truth focuses almost entirely on demonstrating that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Now, the foundational premise for this belief that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible is that any book that claims to be the revelation of an all-good, all-knowing, and all-powerful supernatural deity would have to possess, at a minimum, two defining attributes. First, that revelation would have to be consistent with what we can see from that being's created order and recorded history. And second, that revelation would have to contain evidence of supernatural origin. So we think that those two attributes would have to be, at a minimum, the attributes that would be associated with an inspired divine revelation. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit more in this series, and a little bit more today, we're going to talk about exactly how we can be sure that the Bible does contain evidence of supernatural origin. And in previous episodes of Anchored by Truth, we have offered four lines of evidence that we believe demonstrate that the Bible possesses those attributes. One, the Bible is historically reliable. Two, the Bible has a remarkable unity for a book that was authored from a human standpoint, by dozens of people over a period of hundreds of years. 3. 
Reading the Bible has changed thousands upon thousands of people's lives for the better. And four, the Bible contains a substantial body of fulfilled prophecy, and many of the prophecies were made hundreds of years before their fulfillment. Well, before we get too far into our serious discussion, let's take a humorous look at some facts about the Bible using one of Crystal C. Book's Life Lessons with a Laugh. This one is about how hard it can be to name something properly. Hey, R.D., where are you? I thought we were supposed to be in the studio to do our recording. Hang on, J. Ray, hang on. Just a small location change before we start. I have to flip a switch here so I can let the Crystal Sea crew and crowd know about our latest addition to the lineup. <laughs> ah, there we go. Is that supposed to happen? Hi, folks. I'm R.D. Fierro here at the Worldwide Crystal Sea IT Center. IT Center? Dude, we're standing in front of a fold-up table with a bent corner in the copy room between the printer and the fax machine, which is still out of ink. Oh, and my name is still Jerry. Whoa there, name still Jerry. Let's not let the geography overwhelm the technology. It's not where we are that's exciting. It's what we're doing. B.F., introduce yourself. B.F.? What's a B.F.? That would be me, name still Jerry. Yikes! R.D. has just finished activating my performance protocols. Who said that? B.F. did. It's an acronym. B-E-T-H. The Bible Education Tips and Help System. That's the new AI support app that we're launching today. Wouldn't it just be simpler to say Beth rather than B-F? Quite right, name still Jerry. Beth is a shortened version of Elizabeth, which is the name of one of the most beloved figures in the Bible. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. That's what I was thinking. But my name's not name still Jerry. Just Jerry. Noted, just Jerry. Recalculating. Well, maybe Beth would work. But you know me. I like being a little creative. Yeah, right. That's not what I'd call it. Look, not to put too fine a point on it, but sometimes you have a little trouble with names. Not sure what you mean by that, Dismay Jay. Right. Look, you have a tendency to mangle names, and I'm a little worried about you mispronouncing B.F. and getting us in trouble. Well then, how about B.A.T.H., the Bible Assistance Teaching and Help System? You know, B.A.F. No, same problem. B.A.R.F.? The Bible Assistance Review and Facilitation System? No. B-East, the Bible Education Acceleration, Saturation, and Traineration System? There's no such word as traineration, no. B-Est, the Bible Embarkation, Supplementation, and Transportation System? No, and now you're just making things up. Wow, Jay Downer, you're not making this easy. Did you implement that wheat brand suggestion I gave you a while back? Adequate fiber is essential to proper nutrition and digestion. Doctors recommend that men such as Just Jerry get 38 grams of fiber per day. I would be happy to assist you, Just Jerry, in calculating your current fiber intake. Also... Hey, my diet and fiber are just fine. Hmm, might need to make some adjustments to the system here. And what are we going to do with it anyway? For starters, 
The system will order soluble fiber for the lunchroom. Charging to just Cherry's credit card. Wait, what? Charging now. Hey, wait! Well, Jay Brand, I thought it would be helpful for our listeners to get some Bible facts and figures from time to time as we talk about our life lessons from the Bible. For instance, uh, a system. How many books are there in the Bible? 66 R.D. And when was the first book written? There is general scholarly consensus that the earliest writings were recorded around 1400 B.C., R.D. And when was the last book written? The consensus is that the last book was completed prior to the end of the first century A.D., R.D. And how many authors wrote the Bible? An imprecise question, R.D., R.D., R.D. Mm, maybe you broke it, R.D., R.D., R.D. Not at all, just Jerry. Traditionally, there are 35 people named who are regarded as biblical writers, but they are actually more since the authors of some books, such as Judges, are not named and for other books, such as Hebrews, the writer is disputed. But... But what? But there is really only one author of the Bible. God. Need I say more, J. Ray? Well, yeah, you're right. Well, we still have to figure out what to call it. May I suggest B-R-I-T-E? Ah, great suggestion. The Bible Righteous Instruction Training and Education System. That way, just Jerry, may say the bright system, as in Jesus is the bright morning star. And if R.D.D. follows his pattern, he will just be saying, be right, which you will be if you read and follow the Bible. Works for me, uh, be right, but it's just R.D., not R.D.D. Got it, just R.D., not very creative, though. Recalculating. Ooh, you may be right, Jay Ray. We might need to make some adjustments to B-Right's AI program. Hmm, sounds like it is functioning just fine to me. And little fiber's not a bad thing. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Sure, still Jerry. Sure. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea AI crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where... We're not famous... But our boss is. Okay, so now we know that more than three dozen people were involved in actually recording the documents that were assembled into the book we call the Bible. But those three dozen people were all guided by a single mind, the mind of God. And one of the ways we know this is because sprinkled throughout the Bible are prophecies of all sorts, some of which have been fulfilled and some that are still awaiting fulfillment. So let's start with a basic question. Why did God put so much prophecy in the Bible? Well, obviously no one, certainly not I, can understand the mind of God exhaustively about why he did anything. But I think that we can make some reasonably, fairly straightforward observations about biblical prophecy. I think that it's quite likely that God put prophecy in the Bible to provide us evidence that the Bible's source, its origin, was supernatural. You know, most of the time, as human beings, we can't tell what the weather's going to be in the next few days. We certainly can't tell who's going to win an election months or years from now, and we don't even know what teams will be in various sports playoff contests. But many of the biblical prophets gave very precise prophecies that were fulfilled dozens or even hundreds of years later in exactly the manner that had been prophesied. 
So for any human being to be able to do that, to give a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled hundreds of years down the road, clearly they had to have been given their information when they wrote it down from a supernatural source. So I think it's pretty obvious that one big reason, maybe the big reason that God included prophecy in the Bible, was to ensure that honest inquirers who came to the Bible would be able to know that the Bible was a special divine revelation. But I think there are other reasons as well. Such as? Well, certain biblical prophets uttered their prophecies for very practical reasons, such as providing needed advice to their communities or even to the whole kingdom. For instance, if you look at chapter 6 of Second Kings, it relates a story where the prophet Elisha, now that's Elisha, not Elijah. Elijah was the predecessor for Elisha. So the prophet in chapter 6 of Second Kings relates a story where Elisha kept warning the king of Israel about the strategy that the king of Syria was going to use when they were warring against one another. So obviously, by Elisha warning the king of Israel about the king of Syria's strategy, that was giving a big advantage to the king of Israel. Well, the king of Syria got so frustrated about his plans being constantly discovered before he was ready, he thought that he had a spy in his camp. One of the king of Syria's advisors told him, no, it wasn't a spy. It was just that in Israel there was a prophet named Elisha who was giving warnings to the king of Israel. So, the Syrian king did what you would expect him to do. He sent an army to capture Elijah. But that didn't work out too well for the Syrians. As I recall, God struck the Syrians with blindness, and then Elijah was able to lead them into a place where they were surrounded by the Israelite army. Fortunately for the Syrians, Elijah told the king of Israel he wasn't allowed to kill the Syrians. In fact, Elijah told the king of Israel to feed the Syrians and then send them home. But the whole affair did end the war, at least for the time being. Okay, besides biblical prophets providing prophecies that have had an immediate practical benefit, what other purposes did prophecy serve? Well, this purpose is a little more subtle, but it's an important one. By commissioning certain people to serve as prophets to his people, God used the prophets as a means of setting his people apart. In other words, biblical prophets helped preserve the Hebrew nation as God's distinctive and special people. Well, this was really important because God had promised that the Messiah would come from the Hebrew nation. So if the Hebrew nation of Israel and Judah had gotten lost in history, which just about every other nation from that period in history did, if Israel had gotten lost in history, it would have either been much harder or impossible to demonstrate that Jesus, when he came into the world as a result of the incarnation, that Jesus came from the Jewish nation that had a Jewish history. Ooh, that does sound pretty important. And obviously, God took his prophets pretty seriously, because in our opening scripture from Deuteronomy, we heard how he gave his people a way to distinguish between false and genuine prophets. A biblical prophet had to be 100% accurate. In ancient Israel, if someone claimed to be a prophet, but they proved to be what the Bible termed a false prophet, they were subject to the death penalty. So obviously, God took the issue of prophecy very seriously. Was there a reason false prophecy was such a serious issue? Well, when you look at the prophet's role more closely, the prohibitions on false prophecy start to make more sense. 
Today, we primarily think of the term prophecy as sort of being telling the future or some kind of forecasting. We think of prophecy almost exclusively in this role as telling something about the future to the people of today. And that was certainly a part of the role for biblical prophets. But really, the biblical prophet's primary role was being God's representative before the people. Now, you can contrast the role of a biblical prophet with the role of the priest. The priest's role was to represent the people before God. The prophet was to represent God before the people. So the roles of being the prophet and the priest were complementary. The priest made intercession for the people, largely using the sacrificial system that had been established by God in the Torah, in other words, the law or the first five books of the Old Testament. So the priest represented the people before God using the sacrificial system, but a prophet brought God's word to the people. So in the Bible, you'll see phrases like, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, or thus saith the Lord, or thus says God. So when a false prophet claimed to be something that he wasn't, that false prophet wasn't just passing out bad information, in effect. He was actually misrepresenting himself as being a messenger of God. Well, of course, when you falsely claim to be a messenger from God, that's something a perfectly holy God couldn't allow or ignore. And one of the big reasons that God can't allow someone to falsely misrepresent him is because of at least one other reason that we have for biblical prophecy. What's that? Well, God used prophecy as a way of shepherding his chosen people, and really the entire world, to his desired ends. Or, to say that a little bit differently, God actually used prophecy not only as a way of telling people about the future, he used prophecy as a way to bring about his will in history. So, in a certain sense, biblical prophecy isn't just revealing something to us. It's not just about telling his people, or ultimately all of us, about events that are going to happen in the future. God used the prophetic utterances of his prophets as part of his means for achieving his desired ends. In other words, prophecy has been, and will continue to be, a means that God has used to bring his perfect will to fruition. Uh-oh. This again sounds like we're starting to wade out of the shallow waters and into the really deep end of the pool. You're saying that biblical prophets weren't just about telling people about the end. You're saying they were part of bringing those ends about. Well, sometimes I like to say to Jerry in the life lessons, exactamundo. I think we're going to need an example of what you're thinking about. Well, here's an obvious one. Scholars vary on the count, but it's safe to say that there are more than 200 prophecies about Jesus that are found in the Old Testament. And I've actually seen lists that contain upwards of 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the coming Messiah or Jesus. When it came time for Jesus to be born into history as an infant in Bethlehem, the people of his era had a fairly large number of tests that they could apply to see if Jesus really was the promised Messiah. Now remember that today, we have the conclusive evidence of Jesus being the Messiah because we're on this side of the resurrection. We're on the side of the resurrection after it's already happened. But the people who first heard Jesus' message in person did not have that final element of proof that we do. But they still had lots of other tests that they could apply because there had been so many prophecies given that told the people what to look for when the Messiah would arrive. 
In fact, the prophetic evidence that proved that Jesus was the Messiah was so important that when John the Baptist's messengers, remember that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, when John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah or whether they should look for someone else, Jesus actually cited Messianic quotations from Isaiah to prove his authenticity. So said slightly differently, Jesus used Old Testament prophecies to prove that he was who he said he was, the Messiah. So that's a pretty significant use, I think, of prophecy. Prophecy was actually instrumental in demonstrating to Jesus' first audiences that he was the Messiah who had been foretold for so long. So it's not to say that Jesus couldn't have demonstrated that he was the Messiah by other means, performing miracles and such, but it's just to say that Jesus, when he used the evidence from Old Testament prophecies in saying to John the Baptist, yes, I am the Messiah, that's how important that that prophecy was, not just in telling the people about the Messiah, but in helping Jesus demonstrate that he was the Messiah, that in fact God's promised end was coming to fruition at that time. Wow, that is an amazing thought. God not only gave prophecies to certain of his people, but later he actually used those prophecies to help achieve the specific purpose of identifying Jesus as the Messiah. Do you have any other examples of God-inspiring prophecy that he then used later as part of bringing his plans to fruition? Yes, certainly. Now, shortly on Anchored by Truth, we're going to begin to delve into one of the most important books of prophecy in the Bible, the book of Daniel. Now, just as a little bit of background, as a young boy, Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians, along with another of Israelites from sort of the upper crust of Jerusalem. Now, through God's providence, Daniel ultimately became a very senior court official in both the Babylonian court and in the Persian court after a confederation of Medes and Persians defeated the Babylonians. Shortly after Daniel had been taken captive to Babylon, the Babylonians actually destroyed Jerusalem pretty much entirely, and essentially the whole nation of Judah went into captivity in the regions around Babylon. The reason that the Lord permitted Judah to go into captivity was because of the blatant idolatry that had become rampant in Judah. The fact that the Jews were going to go into captivity, all this had been prophesied really over a period of decades by the prophet Jeremiah. That doesn't sound very encouraging. No, it doesn't. But along with all the warnings that Jeremiah had been giving to the people of Judah, Jeremiah had also told the people that the exile from their homeland wouldn't be permanent. Jeremiah told the people, he prophesied, that after a period of 70 years in captivity, Judah would be allowed to be restored to its own land. So now back to Daniel, who is in Babylon and later on in the Persian court. Daniel knew about Jeremiah's prophecy. In fact, all of the Jewish exiles knew about Jeremiah's prophecy. So after the 70 years had elapsed, Daniel began praying to the Lord to know when the return to the homeland would begin. Now he knew to pray, and he knew to anticipate the return to the homeland, because Jeremiah had made that prophecy, and of course Daniel, being a prophet himself, trusted Jeremiah's prophecy. Well, shortly after the Medes and the Persians had conquered Babylon, the Persian emperor Cyrus issued an edict that permitted the Jews to begin to return to their own land. 
Now, that sounds like great news, and for many people, it probably was. But you have to remember that after 70 years, after seven decades of being out of their homeland, a lot of the Jews who had been exiled had now built new lives for themselves in and around Babylon and its provinces. So you're thinking that many of the Jews would have become comfortable in their new lives and would have been reluctant to go back to what in essence was a ruined wasteland. It would have been very difficult to travel that distance in those days, especially to undertake such a difficult task as rebuilding a city and nation from nothing. Precisely. But because of Jeremiah's prophecy, many of the Jews had kept alive the hope of return throughout all those 70 years, and so since they were anticipating that return, they were actually much better prepared to make the journey and do the hard work once they knew that the time of Jeremiah's prophecy had been fulfilled. I think I see where you're going with this. It's one thing for a supernatural being, God, to reveal the future to one of his servants. That shows that God possesses supernatural knowledge. But it's another thing entirely for that God to then use the supernatural knowledge he had communicated as part of the way in which he unfolds his plans in time and history. Knowing something is one thing, but God just doesn't have supernatural knowledge. He has supernatural power. He shapes all events for his purposes, and even though there may be decades or centuries between the revelation and the consummation, that time means nothing to an eternal creator. I think that's very well said. You know, the fact that God uses short-term prophecies along the way of his grand plan unfolding tells us that God is always present with his people. And the biblical prophets showed that because not only did they provide information to their kings about the strategies during wars, they also helped their people in other ways. For instance, the book of Samuel about the prophets helping a farmer find his lost donkeys. So the prophets were actually very helpful to the people in a variety of ways. And what that demonstrates is that God is very concerned not just about the big things, but also about the things that affect his people individually. And we see God's transcendent hand at work when we see how he uses his own prophetic disclosures at one point in history to shape events at a future point in history. Ultimately, all of this underscores that God is sovereign over the affairs of men and nations, and all history for that matter. The Bible's inclusion of prophecy not only demonstrates the Bible's supernatural origin, but also clearly reveals the danger to us of not fully familiarizing ourselves with God's plan for His people and His creation. If God took the time to make a special revelation of His character and will, He rightfully can expect man, as one of His creatures, to study that revelation. Sounds like a wonderful time for a prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer for the renewal of the church, the body of believers that God has called to receive his special revelation found in the Bible. A prayer for the renewal of the church. Righteous and just Father, you know the thoughts and meditations of your people as no one could. You are the Lord of our hearts and the fulfillment of all of our ambitions. You have numbered the hairs on our head, so you certainly know when we propose to do your will and when we don't. Lord, there are a great many faithful followers of yours in our nation today. There are many whose hearts are totally devoted to you and who want to see your kingdom come 
and your will be done. Yet within your church we believe there are many who have been tempted by the snares of the world and a great many who have fallen prey to the evil one. We are saddened and grieved by this and we yearn for restoration and renewal of the church in our land. Lord, if this nation is to survive and remain a land where people may freely worship you, we acknowledge that it will not be done through or by our efforts. Only the Holy Spirit can change the hearts of our countrymen, and we believe that he will act only as we persistently and continuously pray for renewal to come. Words do not do justice to the longings within our spirits to see this nation be visited by another great awakening. As you have done in the past, bring light to your people. Let us learn to handle your word properly and then bring it to the world by Christ's power, through Christ's love, and praying continuously in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, Try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.